Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends. We are back here again. And this week, I have such a fun guest on the podcast. Who has watched Saturday Morning Kitchen on BBC One? Well, if you have, you'll be very familiar with Helen McGinn, recommending great affordable wine. And she's also the wine expert on ITV's This Morning. She's the author of The Knackered Mother's Wine Club. That's a book, but there's also her super successful wine blog of the same name. And so after a decade of buying wines from the supermarkets, we are settling down to talk about her career and wine moments. I am very satisfied that English wine does come up. We'll have some wine and food pairing recommendations. You will also get a wine glass recommendation that will surprise you, but equally remind you that wine doesn't need to be this overly thought out, poncy, unachievable thing. And after last week's deep dive into sparkling wine, I wanted this episode to be a much more relaxing listen. And so with it being International Women's Day a few days ago, May you snuggle up on the couch with a supermarket wine and listen to the energy of a very inspiring woman in wine as she tells us her story and hopefully gives you a few tips along the way. Enjoy. So I always start with what is quite a boring question, but tends to get a good answer. So, I mean, was wine love at first sight for you? Uh, it was pretty much love at first sight, but okay. it was a slightly unusual route into it, which was that I don't come from like a wine family. Nobody mm-hmm. in my family had ever worked in wine before. We just drank lots of it. And I remember there That's was always <laughs> wine on the table. Yeah, there was always wine on the table, you know. Um, it, You know, we're, we're all naturally quite greedy and... Uh, lunches seem to go on for quite a long time. That's you know, my kind of family. Up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was that was that kind of family. So so wine was always present, um, but it wasn't really until university that I properly got into it um, mm-hmm. because I joined a wine society. And I joined the wine society not because I was thinking um, I really want to learn more about wine, but genuinely it was because it was the cheapest way to have four to drink half wine? glasses of wine on a Thursday <laughs> night once a month. It was a very popular society. Uh-huh. I don't think Needs you ever realised. Yeah, it was. Needs it was must. like, there's about 600 people were oh, members. But they used to have um, tastings once a month and there would be a, normally about 100 people would go. And I would go with my, with my friends and we would mm-hmm. sit there and try the wines and kind of, you know, nod and look interested. Uh, but I genuinely found that after a while, I was sitting there thinking, "This is this is such a, a brilliant subject. It's so interesting. The people who came to talk to us were always so passionate about what they 
were doing as mm. far as I could tell they got to travel to amazing places they got to work with lovely people and they got to drink wine for a living during the day uh, and that was the bit <laughs> that I was true. like we're missing all the boring excel documents and we're missing all of the actual you know practical stuff but we do drink wine during the day don't we (laughs) but it was you know it was the fact that it seemed to be a job that combined travel and people and a really Mm -hmm. lovely end product that was the bit that made me think right I need to know more about this I guess that was my light bulb moment where I thought I want to go and work in wine okay was there a wine though that put you on the path Completely. Well, probably pre-wine society, it was when I said that there was always wine on the table. I do remember back in the, I'm going to go for kind of late 80s, um, (laughs) early 90s. I think there was a bottle of, I do remember tasting Penfolds for the first time. Oh, wow. Penfolds Uh, Grange? It couldn't have been a Grange. No, 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 no. Literally, it was Penfolds from a supermarket. Like, it it was a bottle that my dad had bought that was on the table. And I remember tasting it. And this was before the Wine Society University thing. But I do remember tasting it and just thinking the flavours were so delicious. And I couldn't, uh, you know, it was then... Australian wine was coming over Mm. but but there wasn't that much of it it was just kind of starting and so I think I remember tasting it thinking that is so delicious it must be perhaps something like the Kunanga Hill because there's a lot of that around and now it's about 10 pound a bottle and that stuff is brilliant I wonder I think it would have been something exactly like that something that at the time probably cost about eight or ten pounds in the supermarket so it was definitely quite smart at the time but it was just the fact that I was drinking something where the flavors were so vibrant uh, so delicious and it felt warm and juicy and gorgeous and I loved it oh I love that so that's a great starting point do you have a favorite wine memory now throughout literally all of those wine travels wine glasses you've sipped wine friends you've met is there a special wine memory I think my most special wine memory has to be the fact that after I had my first son George Mm. I've got three children well they're all teenagers now but after I had my first son George we had been given a bottle of 1988 Krug when we got married in 2000 and when he was born in 2004 I'm gonna say um let's hope that's right uh, (laughs) then that was the first thing I had to drink after George was born and I remember that being I mean and I'm talking moments like I'd had the babies Mm -hmm. like I can have my wine now (laughs) I like you. <laughs> but I, I like your style. <laughs> but I do remember there is that connection still to this day. I mean, I know it's a cliche to say that champagne is, you know, you have that for the special moments in your life or something with bubbles in for the special moments of your life. But mm-hmm. even if I see a bottle of Krug vintage and I did see an empty bottle of 1988 not that long ago, it definitely takes me back to a time where to I felt moment. so, so happy and it was mm. the most delicious thing I'd ever drunk. And Krug, obviously, is really up there in top champagnes anyway, so it really was not a bad choice to go No, it was a very nice bottle. And then post-pregnancy hormones, I'm sure it was elevated (laughs) even higher. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I think after that, I slightly lowered my expectations. I realised I wasn't going to be sipping Krug 88 every time. You're a mother. (laughs) (laughs) Children ruin that. The the pocket money goes elsewhere, doesn't it? Now, talking of pocket money I don't know you know people can tend to get better value wines in the supermarket so that brings me to the point that you did spend 
how many years as a supermarket wine buyer? It was a decade. Yeah. So okay. I joined Tesco in 95 and I was yeah. there. Yeah, I was there for 10 years. And what were the lessons that you learned, you know, whether the way people drink or how to buy? Well, first of all, it was honestly, I've still look back and cannot believe my luck. I was I felt like Charlie Bucket with his golden ticket because <laughs> I had really wanted to get a job in wine, but I didn't really know how to go about it. Yeah. And it was because I was then halfway through of doing a degree. I got onto the graduate scheme for Tesco. And so they train you for a year, you spend going around the business training to be a buyer. So you'd buy everything from, you know, potatoes to shampoo and health and beauty for a while, all, all different mm-hmm. areas of the business, just so that you, you, you'd learn the skills. And how fun was buying potatoes? <laughs> Um, I didn't last there very long, but I loved doing health and beauty. I think it was to do with smell again. Yeah, it was. It was really interesting. I was fascinating. But I joined with, um, you know, I'd written on my application, you know, Mm -hmm. that I desperately wanted to work in wine. And so after a year, I went back and knocked on the door of the chap who ran the wine department at the time and said, you know, I'm I'm still here, actually. (laughs) Can I have have a job (laughs) in your department now? And so I was very lucky that they put me through all of my training and I traveled the world with that job it was incredible and it was a very exciting time to be buying wine for a supermarket anyway because you know then it it was just as it was becoming a real thing everyone was expanding their ranges we were buying wines bringing in wines from new countries you know first own label from Mexico and Peru oh yeah oh my god it was it was amazing it really was amazing but I think the lessons I learned okay so ask questions always and listen Mm. Because I think that is the one thing with wine is, I mean, I've been in the trade now for about 30 years. You are never, ever, ever going to know it all. And the day you stop asking questions is the day you might as well give up because there is always more to learn. It's about listening to other people's take on wine. Mm. Um, So you've got to ask the questions. You've got to listen And I think the other thing I learned is just to keep tasting. Taste as many wines as you can because it's changing all the time. And you think you know a a wine and a region and you've just got your head around it and then you'll taste an example that's just complete. It's a completely different take. And and you need to understand why. You you need to know why. And and so I think that's really important just to keep tasting, keep tasting. So back then, when you were bringing in wines from Mexico and Peru, I'm really shocked. (laughs) They obviously didn't last very long. Was this a time when Chile and Argentina were also being brought across? Funnily enough, Chile and Argentina were two of my main area so I did most of France and South America uh, Mm, and New Zealand for a while but South America was a great love of mine I absolutely loved that I used to do about three trips a year to Chile and Argentina a week in each and then when I was there on one of the trips I'd heard that someone was making some nice wines in Mexico so we flew out there to go and have a look and actually I did I did oh my god I do remember (laughs) we did make a Mexican Chardonnay and Cabernet and again this is about you know 25 years ago or something Mm -hmm. they were delicious they were amazing but nobody bought them I mean they sat in that warehouse I can imagine (laughs) (laughs) it was just too early Mm. I don't think people were it's still it's still yes. too early. It's yeah. Were they from Baja California? Um, Do you remember? No, they weren't actually. No, no they okay. weren't. I mean, I still think 
to this day now it feels like it's still going to happen for those wines because anybody who goes on holiday to Mexico always comes back raving about the wine yes but I I, you do wonder whether that's the thing at the moment they're keeping the best stuff and you know drinking it over there so you you have to look a bit harder to find it here but you know that's that's the great thing about the world of wine we're never going to run out of places to find new things not at all. And I suppose the thing with supermarkets is, you know, you do have uh, places that need to be filled and price points that you need to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so it's mm-hmm. like a supermarket tends not to take a risk. <laughs> well, you did then. <laughs> well, maybe that's why they don't do it now is because they know what dreadful overstocks you left with. If you let some <laughs> lunatic buyer go off and make, you know, hundreds of thousands of cases of wine that doesn't sell. But anyway... <laughs> So, that's brilliant. So when were you bringing in Chilean and Argentinian wines? What year would this have been, roughly? Uh, well, I started in um, mid-90s, and mm-hmm. it had been going for a while then. But it was certainly, I would say, that you know, early 90s was the beginning, really, of the great journey for South American wines in particular. Mm. And you look at it now, and I just still think, I mean, Argentina in particular is producing some incredible wines uh, at the moment and they're really pushing the boundaries with what they're planting and where and how they're making them and I think there is a lovely balance there of tradition and innovation and I think that's what makes Argentina in particular so exciting. Did you go to every wine region of Argentina? Pretty, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I did go up to the north. Um, I uh, we had a our car broke down on a six-hour <laughs> car journey when oh, we were I driving up to driving up to Cafe Arte. Yeah, I remember that was oh gosh, yeah, we we got quite sunburnt, but it was such an adventure, and you would often go to these regions n- not knowing what you would find, and sometimes you would be shown wines that they thought would appeal to you and then you would ask to taste or can we just taste what's in that tank over there and that's where you would find your gem Mm. so it was a very exciting time that is amazing and so at what point when you were tasting different wines from tank and obviously creating own labels from Mm. from certain places did you decide to write a wine blog did this happen at the same time (laughs) (laughs) so no that happened that started the wine blog started so I I left Tesco when I had uh, George, my eldest, because obviously it was a big traveling job Mm -hmm. and George came along and I quickly realized that I didn't want to be away for four months of the year for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So I changed job and actually I did leave Tesco at that time because I realized there wasn't another job I wanted to do there. You know, Mm -hmm. I could have gone part time. I could have done a a UK based job but I thought actually I've I've had 10 brilliant brilliant years yeah I'm going to do something different and you didn't and really want to buy potatoes I guess yeah I didn't want to go back to that no no, no. I was truly truly <laughs> you know what wine's like it's like Hotel California once you're in there you never leave you can't leave and mm-hmm. you know so I actually changed jobs and I was very lucky in that uh, somebody who I used to buy a lot of wine from when I was a buyer, he was in the process of setting up a new agency, but it wasn't a typical agency. It was a very skinny team. And what we were trying to do was put producers and supermarkets closer together. Okay. My timing was uh, extremely fortunate in that I was given a fantastic role there, which was super flexible around having a newborn. In fact, so flexible, I went on to have um, two more whilst I was there. <laughs> And <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, but it was great. I mean, I, I look back and realize it, it was very good for me because I was still working in wine in the bit that I loved, which is I really love 
I know it's not for everybody, but I love the supermarket end of wine because I do think for a lot of people that is the start of their journey. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if I can be there at the start of their journey and, you know, my whole reason for staying in it is I love communicating about wine, you know, whether it's talking or writing about it. And so the blog happened because when I was doing that part-time role, by then I had three small kids and I was mostly working from home and I was spending the job by then was suddenly had suddenly got quite spreadsheet focused so in in brackets (laughs) read boring and I found myself like in the evenings I would be working and I thought you know I've got to do something different just otherwise my brain is going to implode so Mm -hmm. this was a time you know it was pre-Instagram pre the social media explosion but blogs were very fashionable then and there were a lot of parenting blogs around and I had basically got through the toddler years by every time my one of the babies didn't sleep or didn't eat something I would google it and you would always find a brilliant blog with somebody telling you what they did to kind of get through that particular Mm -hmm. bump in the road and I remember having a thought and thinking do you know I don't go to textbooks for my parenting help I go to the internet so why don't I instead of my friends all ringing me on a Friday afternoon which is what they used to do in a panic from the wine aisle why don't I just start a wine blog and I'll put a couple of wines on there every week and then I'll tell my friends and family to go and have a look at that because it meant that one evening a week I would just have a couple of hours where I would write up a few wines that I'd tasted share something anecdotally about you know life with small kids basically try and use humor to communicate Mm -hmm. about wine but my thing was I didn't want to make it just wine focused because for most people wine is part of a conversation it's not the only conversation and so I guess that was my hope was that I could a bit like horrible histories so my kids used to read horrible histories so they learned I think I did too well you end up learning about history without even Mm -hmm. noticing because you're reading a story and it's making you laugh and Mm -hmm. I guess that was I basically thought that's what I'll try and do with wine I will write about it but I'll try and make it funny so by the end of your five minute reading my blog you come out with two wines that you might want to go and try but you've also hopefully learnt something else and something's made you laugh that was the idea so the knackered mother's wine club as it was called that's what I called it because that was the title of an email that I used to send to friends of mine before it came into a blog so the the email started life as telling people what wines were coming up on promotion because I used to know Yeah. yeah and then I just turned that into a blog and that's how it started Oh, I love it. And so obviously you've done the, the you're st- are you still doing the wine blog now? So I still do the wine blog to this day, which again, I mean, blogs are so old fashioned now. Nobody really does them. You know, everyone's moved to Instagram or Substack or newsletters or whatever it is. But I, my blog to me is, I've never monetized the blog really. I don't do paid individual wine reviews on mm-hmm. there. It is literally just stuff that I've tasted and I've liked. And I still do it, not as often as I used to. I mean, I used to do it once a week. I probably now do it once a month. But it's a really nice way of just keeping up with people. And and especially, I mean, that's been going now since probably 14 years ago that I started the blog. Wow. So it's okay. still a way for me to let people know what if things are coming up, if I'm doing events or with the books as well. It's just, it's a lovely, it's a lovely space. And it's I feel like it's my space that I've always wanted to keep going. Really, well, I suppose yeah. with all your communication and your education, I suppose that's evolved to what now you have a wine course. Yes. So the wine course, if you go to Create Academy and Create Academy are a wonderful, wonderful uh, team of people who put together 
courses on everything from food to gardening to interiors to all sorts of beautiful lifestyle things. And they came to me uh, last year or the year before, actually, and said, we're thinking of doing a wine course. Would you be up for doing it? And I jumped at the chance because I'd mm. seen I had watched some of their other ones Anna They're Jones one of their done. chefs exactly she does mm-hmm. she did a brilliant one and Thomasina Myers has done one as well and uh so I jumped at it and it, essentially they said you know what are your thoughts about how to do this and luckily I had a book you know my book which came out of the blog which again that's 10 years old it was 10 years old like two days ago, weird. Oh, happy 10th uh, the, anniversary. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so the Lack of Mother's Wine Guide was the book version of the blog. And I wrote that 10 years ago. And so because I've updated it over the years, I mean, it stayed in print from when it was first published. I'm very lucky that the publishers are huge supporters of it. And they updated every few years and just keeps running. And so I gave, I sat down with the Create Academy team and we looked at the book. And because I'd written the book, which... Is called the Knack of Mother's Wine Guide, Everything You Need to Know About Wine and Much, Much More. It genuinely is the only wine book I have ever written and will ever write because I promised myself I would do this one book and wanted to hand on heart say to people, if you this want is to what learn more about mm-hmm. wine, like not everything, but like enough to get you going, mm-hmm. um, start with this and then go off and buy all your other very detailed wine books or whatever you want to do yeah, but um, yeah, this is a good mm. this is a good starting point uh and so that's really what the wine course did the online wine course was bring to life the book now one of the things when i was flicking through was that you are giving people advice on how to buy wine in a supermarket and yes. I would imagine you're one of the best people to ask, seeing as you were <laughs> buying wine for a supermarket. Now, are you allowed to give us a few tips on what someone should do in that aisle rather than calling you on a Friday afternoon? Yeah, yeah well, you could do that. Or, I mean, you can search up all the wines on the blog because there's a little search function. So you can type in your retailer and the colour you want and it will bring up everything I've reviewed recently. But mm-hmm. I would say genuinely that is the thing to do is do your research before you get into the wine aisle because mm. think of bit like you do clothes shopping if you've ever gone clothes shopping and you're not really sure what you're looking for that you never find anything with something you never find anything or you come home with something and you wear it once you think I'm never going to wear that again or what was I thinking is the thing I normally do if I if I buy (laughs) clothes without pre-planning I remember I bought a caftan once and in my head I was Talita Getty in um, Morocco you you know kind of circus (laughs) 76 and I remember I saw I took this caftan on holiday and afterwards I saw a photograph of me in it and I looked like Princess Bloody Margaret and I remember thinking that (laughs) was the last time the last time I ever 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 think like you it was a it was a impulse buy and it didn't it didn't work well for me so I think the same goes for wine you need to just do a bit of homework before mm-hmm. like if you're buying wine to go with something particular that you're eating have a think about what sort of thing might work um and then just have an idea before you get in there if you see something that an offer that looks too good to be true probably is. Uh, in my experience it probably is uh but having said that if you do see a brand that you know and love and this is particularly true of champagne if you see a brand you know and love and it's on offer just fill your boots because you're you're buying something you know you love and so yeah. you might as well take advantage of it so yeah do some research before you get there that would be my top tip 
Yeah, no, I think that's also really a good idea. Brands, once you've understood a brand, you know, it's mm. one of those things you can branch out and very often supermarkets will have, if they have the red version, they'll have the white yeah. version or sometimes yeah. even a, a few more as it becomes more popular. So that is yeah. a very, yeah. very good tip. Oh. Um, how, <laughs> how was filming your first online wine course? Because like, you go around, you go into wineries and stuff like that. Was was it rather comfortable kind of going oh, on that journey? Do you know, it was, we filmed that over five days and it was five glorious sunny days and we were in a vineyard. We were down at Whiston in Sussex and they've got a beautiful mm. winery and where the, we filmed in the vineyard, there's like a little hut at the bottom. I mean, it's much nicer than a hut. It's, it's a gorgeous little built, like barn building type thing and we were in there for a lot of it and in the winery and um it was when Dermot was still there Dermot Sugru so yeah he's just left he and I did a chat on camera which was supposed to be two minutes and I think it's 12 because (laughs) I I mean there is one person that talks as much as I do it's Dermot so (laughs) they literally couldn't shut us up I mean he probably should represent English wine the amount that he his energy his passion his ability yeah yeah I do you know what to be fair as well he does have a very very good way of explaining things you know he is a technical winemaker but what he understands and I guess this this is what I've spent the last 15 years trying to do well more that if you think about it when I was at Tesco is there is no point in talking in a language that your listener doesn't understand Mm. because they will stop listening you have to think about how what you're saying is going to land with them and therefore you need to use language that is going to mean something to them and you know that is a real skill in itself and and I think as a winemaker to have it it makes a big difference and he definitely has it but by the time we filmed the first one I had actually been doing telly for about 10 years because I started doing the Alan Titchmarsh show which was a daytime Did you? show yeah back in oh my god yeah 2013 when the book came out uh-huh. I got a phone call um from a producer who said, you know, we're looking for a wine expert. Will you come and chat to us? So I remember going for this interview, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And I walked into a production company and I met with the producers. And they were saying, you know, we just want a wine expert to sit there and pair wines with the chef's dishes and chat to the guests and stuff. And so I remember sitting at this interview thinking, this sounds amazing. Like, so much fun. I'd love to do it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the interview, I... I was thinking, is anyone going to ask me if I've ever done telly before? So no one seems to, <laughs> no one seems to realise that I've literally just walked in off the street and I've never yeah. been in a TV studio before. So at the end of the interview, I said, "So you know, do, do we do a screen test or something?" You're like, "No, God, no, you'll be fine. No, we'll just, we'll just oh, go well. for it." And so genuinely, the first time I ever did television was live TV. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> and I've done pretty much everything I've done ever since has been live. So obviously, Alan Titchmarsh that was about three years and then I went from there to this morning which I still do now um obviously that's that's all live and then obviously Saturday Kitchen which is live there you go what do you do now on Saturday Morning Kitchen do they send you a lot of samples in advance for you to try to then decide to pair what with the the dishes that are going to come up on that is that the main focus for you yeah it's really lucky in all of the television work that I do I have completely free reign so for Saturday Kitchen for example I will be sent the two dishes that the guest chefs are cooking Mm. I'll then make them at home and I will usually call in three or four different wines to try so I'll have an idea 
of what might work because you you know when you've been doing this for a while you look at the ingredients on the page and yeah. it, and normally a couple of wines spring to mind wine styles spring to mind but I've found you know through experience that it doesn't always work that way sometimes it's the wild card that actually works really well and sometimes you look at a recipe and you think I don't even know where to start with that <laughs> so you do just have to try different styles I get my leg pulled a lot because I do quite a bit of rosé <laughs> rosé I don't know if you've noticed on the show but, <laughs> but rosé is such a forgiving food wine that is the point you know when you've got quite tricky ingredients and it's great with savory flavors more umami great with savory flavors, flavors exactly spices. that exactly that so it is often the way um yeah. it was only last week that you recommended balfour's juice in the eight acres sparkling rosé for valentine's day yes i did you're right you're right and i was thinking so i've done that somewhere else as well because i i absolutely love that wine the one from the co-op and it's something yes. like 18 pounds it's such incredible value you do yeah. know that i'm biased but i do work for balfour i don't know if you know oh do you i didn't yeah. know that oh well i'm so uh-huh. i'm so pleased and i'm embarrassed because i was the english wine bar when i was at tesco and so many 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 years ago i remember you know back in the day then it was just my timber balfour what hush heath and uh, Chapel Down, that's what I was thinking of. Mm. So I went many years ago, but I've not really been in recent years because having spent 10 years traveling the world, I now genuinely don't get out much. <laughs> um, and um, so I haven't been to see them recently. And after I did that on the show, they got in touch and said, please, please, please come down. And I would love to because I've spoken to Fergus extensively on the phone because whenever I'm reviewing a wine or talking about a wine if I haven't been to visit I will always pick up the phone to the winemaker and say right I'm about to talk about your wine is there anything you want to tell me that helps me put it into context because I do think that's it's really important part of my Mm, job is mm. to try and get across what the winemaker or the producers are are trying to do with the wine so I've had conversations with him and they just seem like such a great crew down there and they're doing amazing things with all Mm. their you know it's not just sparkling now it's all their still wines I mean you're making wines in every color it's just it's brilliant really no and I think Fergus as well as a head winemaker he really resembles whereas you said Dermot Sugru who is oh an incredible voice and he has and actually interesting he has a very specific style like he Mm. obviously was making Wistons for many years. Um, He is currently making the sparkling wines for Artillium, a small boutique producer. He's obviously gone to carry on now doing his personal project, the Sugri wines. But if you taste all of them, they've all got a very specific style. Yeah, there's a Dermot um, DNA. Brutal. Absolutely. You either love it or not hate it, but it's a very, so like powerful, strong, high acids, but it's it's brilliant. But anyway, it's so interesting. And I love that when we now get to explain to people, you know, you're going to eventually, just like you might say, do you like Bollinger champagne? Do you like Krug champagne? And you you Mm. choose a brand based on its style or Mm. anything Dermot touches has a real specific style and certainly from Balfour Fergus they go for this really pure fruited style which is so 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 excited that they're so different but Fergus is this he resembles the young winemakers of England and and how that they are really open to communicate and share their styles and really investigate and all the clonal research that's happening in England it's no it's exciting so yes come down to the Hushith estate 400 acres you'll have a great time especially if it's sunny I will well he also said as soon as you said there was a restaurant there I was like right that's it I'm in <laughs> <laughs> food there's, there's food and wine food I'm and there wine. 
So, okay, let's go on to food and wine. You are trying to pair on Saturday Morning Kitchen. We've already said that rosé wine, whether it is still or sparkling, can be very, very forgiving with food. What have been some really fun favourite food and wine pairings for you? Or even some crazy ones that surprised you? Um, Well, funny enough, on rosé, so there was, I remember, I don't know if they've got it anymore, but Lidl had a Tavel rosé for a while. Okay, yes. And it was something crazy, like $7.99, but it was really good, really good value. Mm. Um, you know, very typical, a little bit earthy, quite full on and strong. And we paired that with, I think the chef was Tom Parker Bowles, and he did a smoked mackerel pate, but it was with treacle bread and beetroot Ooh. pickle. And ah. I remember when I saw pate, treacle and beetroot, I was like, okay, we need a wine with a bit of oomph. Yep. I wanted to get the earthiness in there as well because of the beetroot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was that combination, I remember, worked really well because I remember when I put the bottle on the table the initial reaction from most people was like oh no I'm not sure about that because the color is so dark and we've got mm -hmm. so used to Mm -hmm. people assuming that dark means sweet and I'm like no 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 I promise you it's bone dry it's got bags of flavor let's just give it a try and that one went down really well but another favorite one I loved was the lovely lovely Paul Ainsworth the brilliant Padstow corner chef Oh, do I mean rock? Rock, I mean rock. He did the most ridiculous dish. I remember it was during lockdown, so we'd all, everyone had gone a bit bonkers. We were all a bit bonkers. (laughs) And he did proper chips, like three, you know, three times. Triple cooked. Triple 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 cooked cooked chips. It was covered in cheddar, so they were basically posh cheesy chips, Mm -hmm. uh, but with also with black truffle all over the top. I mean, it was was the most ridiculous, most delicious thing. And I paired that with... Rich and earthy. Yeah, what did you Yeah, choose? rich and earthy, all of that. But what are you going to do with chips and cheese? You're going to... So Something did high acid. I did a Chanoine Frere, uh, their Reserve Privé Champagne, which Majestic mm-hmm. had, still have vintage. It was 2014. It's had... I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's had quite a long time on Lee's, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's normally about 25 quid a bottle, and it went down to about... 18 pounds a bottle I think on promotion that's how I managed to get it on because normally you'd never be able to put a wine you know that's expensive on the show and especially during Mm -hmm. lockdown Mm -hmm. but it was such a fantastic champagne and it was just perfect with all of those ingredients and it felt as I say you know in the middle of the time when when nobody could go out and everyone was going Mm -hmm. a bit mad to have to have (laughs) posh chips and champagne where it just made the world seem a slightly better place (laughs) do you know I have I I totally agree with you and it's funny I've spoken to many wine professionals and chips and champagne or of course if you're in England English sparkling wine um is a real favourite. The, you know, the acidity yeah. just cuts through, the saltiness of the chips. Yeah. It's an amazing, simple pairing, but I like the fact that yeah. you have posh, yeah. posh chips and champagne. Love it. Yeah, lovely. So, I, my question for you, because we've been mentioning a lot of sparkling wines, and quite clearly everybody listening, if in doubt, that's actually probably one of my tips. If you don't know what wine to pair with your food, or if you've got three courses and you're thinking, oh God, what can I do if I've got to do one wine? Sparkling, the high acidity, cut through. Yeah, I... I'm sort of, do you know, I'm 
I'm sort of with you, but ah. I had this conversation. I had this conversation with someone the other day, and okay. uh, I can't remember the context of it. But I was the champagne buyer for quite a long time as well when yes. I was at Tesco, and I remember whenever you would go to the region, and um, if you were being wined and dined, which as the buyer of Tesco you were on quite a regular basis, um, that then you would be, you know, you would have these amazing dinners, but you would have champagne through the whole dinner mm. and you know told that champagne could go with anything i still i still <laughs> i still struggle with that like if i have Do got you? i'm sorry but if i've got meat on my plate i nah. just put you know doesn't work for me the only thing i would say steak i really would not work. want a sparkling wine yeah. steak but no, spot no. i would be very happy with a blanc de noir or something that could go with even some lamb and some duck uh, but i just i can't go to steak but everything else no. i think it's really yeah. versatile in that regard yeah anyway. I just, as soon as uh, if i get to those sorts of flavors i want something you need not juicy fruity pa- yeah yeah no I yeah agree. i agree um talking of champagne and bubbles what wine glass would you choose what's your ideal wine glass for enhancing a, a, uh okay so i would if i drink fizz <laughs> okay i mean i literally I'm, I'm the worst wine expert in the world so i would say your glasses doesn't matter as long as it's clean okay. and doesn't smell of anything else for every day i use i mean don't hate me i use stemless ikea ones for every day ah, I, I love I, them i love them and i know mm-hmm. that some people like they they're t- i make their teeth itch when they see me holding <laughs> a glass without a stem mentioning no names but i don't care they don't get broken they last forever they're really cheap and i've got boxes and boxes of them um mm. but i do i do love a coupe for, for oh, champagne okay. often we have we open a bottle of sparkling um you know if we've got friends around for drinks on on a saturday evening we'll have sparkling i will always serve it in coupes because because to me, there is, I just love the decadence of it. I just do. It's well, really and also, lovely. if you're drinking it quickly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about that. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I have got some smart ones. I was very fortunate to be given a whole load. Funnily enough, it, I was at Black Chalk doing the Hampshire Fizz Festival mm-hmm. in the summer. I was asked to go and open it. It was such a lovely event with, they had about eight wineries there Pomery, Jenkin Place, Exton Park, all the lovely, Hambledon, all the lovely ones. And um, it was at Black Chalk and the man from Riedel was there. And as I was leaving, I think, I think he was one of the people who had seen me on Instagram holding my stemless Ikea <laughs> glass. And he was, and he, and he literally forced this box of really lovely Riedel glasses on me. And I said to him at the time, please, d- they won't last five minutes in my house. I don't, honestly, I can't. And he said, well, just keep them for smart. And I have, they're up in, a, oh. if I've, if I've got people around who I know are not going to break glasses, then they go on the table, but yeah, if they're real know, adults, if they're re- proper adults, uh, then then those not many of us from time to time, yeah, not exactly, many of us. But- well. Helen, I'm going to tell you something. So I'm a massive supporter of Stemless. And in fact, so many people make comments on my Instagram because I very often am on there with my Stemless. But I use a Riedel Stemless glass. And for anybody listening, they are £10 a glass, which... And because they are stemless, you get everything that you would get from a top Riedel glass that's nice and thin-lipped. But yes, we haven't smashed one of them because simply they, you know, they really are more sturdy. And you, and most of the time when you knock, if you're going to smash them when washing up, well, that's just that. But a lot of the time they get knocked down on the table, don't they? So for 10 pounds, Riedel do really good stemless glasses. No, that is good. But I have to say the IKEA ones are a pound each. (laughs) 
Yeah, okay, okay. But listen, Helen, this is why you uh, speak to the masses and they they listen to you and they know because that is what most people are drinking from as well. No, I appreciate that. Thank you, everyone. This episode, everyone, is not sponsored by IKEA. No, it really isn't. Oh, dear me. So now, obviously, we've been talking about wine a lot because that's the main thing that you do, but you have actually written some fictional books, which I love that. Was that always the plan or is it just that you've enjoyed writing and it's taken you there? Yes, it's because, so I, by the time I had, my career seems to have gone like in 10 year chunks, if you like. So I did my 10 years Mm -hmm. at Tesco and then I did 10 years on and off really where I was still working in wine, but in in more of a marketing Mm. role. And during that time, that's when I started the Knacker Mother's Wine Club and the blog and really, really loved the writing and then wrote the book. But when that came out, my publisher came back and said, okay, what's next? And that's when I pointed out to them that I had written the book, the wine book that says everything you need to know. So I couldn't really do another one saying, oh, yeah, here's all the stuff I forgot to tell you. (laughs) Um, So I thought, well, I still really want to write. And I had harboured a kind of secret desire, really. The only person who knew I was writing a novel was my husband. And I started doing it. Oh, my goodness me, I must have. It took me four years to write because I did it on and off, you know, in between times Mm -hmm. and didn't really tell anyone I was doing it until it was finished. And then when it was finished, I gave it to my agent. And again, it took me about a year to pluck up the courage to even say the words out loud. I've written a fiction book. So I was like, I'm really not sure about this. But I love reading. I love, love reading. And I love, I mean, I grew up on Mary Wesley and Rosamund Pilcher. And I love a saga. I love a love story. I love books that yeah. just take you away for a little bit, but I also love books that are not too taxing, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, if I'm on holiday, mm-hmm. I want a book I can race through that will transport me, that will make me laugh and maybe cry a little bit and just make me think, you know, and fall in love with the characters, really. Love it. So yeah. I thought I'm going to give it a go and show my agent the book. And actually, the last meeting I had before lockdown was with a publisher that my agent had gone to and shown them the manuscript. And the last piece I had was we got a three book deal off the back of that. Mm. Um, So I've written three now and I'm just writing number four because I've got another two (gasps) Ah. book deal now. Yeah, so I'm I'm on my way with number four. But I obviously have to balance it with everything else that I do. And it's still Mm -hmm. very much, it's not my main job. Mm -hmm. I'm loving all the other things I'm doing at the moment. But it is absolutely my kind of plan B. You know, the lovely thing about writing and talking about wine is is it's great. But, you know, the telly, the nature of it means that it's changed it's not going to be there forever so I'm just going to really enjoy it whilst it's happening Mm. but I love knowing that when that when it's somebody else's turn I've got lots to get on with I love like finishing the book (laughs) yeah well well so so the latest book for anyone who's interested so it's romantic and it's emotional it's called This Is Us now the main character Stella she's dealing with the disappearance of her husband so my question to you what wine would help her through that situation <laughs> oh my god it's very serious Stella. now poor, poor Stella, yeah. Stella. What, what, what wine well, would be yeah yeah with well she is married to a shit sorry that's a bit of a spoiler but you know you kind of know that from the back cover um but so I would say anything in the beginning takes her away she does actually get taken her book club friends take her to Florence on like a three-day mini break just to mm. give her a change of scene and so Again, like I said, I weaved in quite a lot of, there's quite a few Italian wines in there and Negronis and things like that, and lots of Chianti. 
Um, I love it. But the bit, they also end up going to Mull. The story takes them to Mull. And actually, the bit I really love writing about was I set myself a challenge to write about whiskey because I love whiskey, but I've never really written about it. You know, Uh most of my commissions are are wine-based. And... My lovely friend Dawn Davis, I'm sure you know her, she's a master of wine, she's amazing, but she has the most fantastic way of talking about whiskey using ah. words that I can relate to. So whereas before, I think whiskey was, you know, I did my diploma a million years ago and did studied whiskey and all of that kind of stuff, but it's not something that I would choose to go and drink yeah. myself. Like, I'm not like, oh, I really fancy a whiskey tonight. That just doesn't happen. But writing and setting it in Mull, I thought, actually, I need to practice what I preach. And I always say, you know, if you are somewhere, drink whatever is made locally, because it helps you really understand the landscape and the people, Uh, you know, it it just sort of, if if you can drink something that's kind of reflects the surroundings. So I wrote about, you know, a very peaty whiskey in in the story and and that that's what she drinks and she loves it ah, and she's not okay. she's yeah she's not a whiskey, whiskey. drinker but she falls whiskey. in love with whiskey mm, yeah is her drink of choice i love that yeah, oh brilliant yeah. and good for you and anyway, just for fun though okay because we're talking books here what yeah. wines do you think would match with the very strong personalities of these two leading women in literature yeah okay yeah. so lizzie bennett pride and prejudice what wine would suit uh, her? Well, to, okay, so Lizzie Bennett, to be honest, I think she'd love a cocktail. I mean, she's <laughs> she's quite, you know, she's really fun. She sort of does stuff that is not expected of her. Mm-hmm. So I can I can see her knocking up a French seventy five actually. Okay, uh, possibly possibly with English sparkling wine instead. Oh, I like yeah. I like your style. That's what, like that's like what she'll do. That's okay, what she'll so. Do. Love that. Now, what about Elizabeth Salander, the girl with the dragon tattoo? Oh, she looks like an orange wine drinker to me. (laughs) Edgy. (laughs) Like it. What a perfect choice. Very, very cool. Yeah, very cool. cool. And kind of tough enough to drink it and, and make it look like it's water, you know. Fabulous choice. So next week, I am back with Helen for part two, and we are going to the southwest of France. So we are back on the education front and learning all about Cahors, their Malbec, which is known as Cot in that region, and the Tannic grape from Madaran. We'll talk about regions like Gaillac, Janson, Bergerac, and grapes such as Petit Mansang and Gros Mansang, and Spoiler alert, these can be great value. Now, finishing off the episode with our weekly wine quote, I have a Spanish proverb or saying for you, and it goes, good wine ruins the purse, bad wine ruins the stomach. Now, although the bad wine part is 100% accurate, after listening to Helen and knowing what we have coming up next week as well, I hope actually those of you with a love of wine will feel happier choosing your wines in the supermarket shelves, knowing there's some exceptional value out there. That's it for this week. Please, of course, share this podcast with all your wine friends. Leave a comment on Apple and a rating on Spotify just to help me get this podcast out to more people. I'll be super grateful wishing you an enchanting week of wine discoveries and possibilities and until next week cheers to you